Hello and welcome to Meet the Researcher, where we meet staff from the Faculty of Sport, Health and Social Sciences at Solent University. This podcast is for anyone interested in research and the person behind the process. It's hosted by me, Dr Emma Mosley and Dr Mark Turner, where we take it in turns to chat to faculty members to get to know them and their research. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the next episode of the podcast series where we get to meet the researcher and learn not only about the research project or interest, but also we get to meet the person behind the research. So today I have the pleasure of welcoming our next researcher, Dr. Catherine Phipps, who works as a course leader for sport coaching and physical education top-up degree within the faculty here of sport health and social sciences so hi Catherine it's fantastic to have you on thank you very much thank you for having me we're looking forward to this all week okay so just the the first question uh, really is about you uh, and we get to know a little bit more about you so I'm just going to start by asking how did you get to where you are yeah, I think it's a it's a good opening question, isn't it? And um, so I started my degree um, in two thousand and nine at York St John University, and I guess I sort of went to university without really knowing what I wanted to do. I was doing a um, physical education and sport coaching degree. I knew I didn't want to do PE teaching, which a lot of my friends did. Um, so I sort of went there knowing I wanted to work in the sport sort of area but didn't really know what I wanted to get out of university um and I actually nearly quit in the first semester so looking back I'm quite glad that I didn't now um but I nearly quit and I, I carried on for the first semester and um as part of that I did a introduction to the sociology of sport um module um, and obviously I am a sociologist of sport now I'd never done any sociology at the time I think if you'd asked me to define what sociology was I wouldn't have been able to say that um, but I really enjoyed it and I'd been involved growing up in a lot of sort of male dominated sports and I'd experienced sort of issues um, related to sort of sexism and gender issues in sports so it was quite nice to sort of look at that in a more academic context and look at some of the research and I really enjoyed the module and it was actually taught by Philippa so Dr Philippa Valia um, was my uh, lecturer back then and um, when she was up at York St John as well um, so I carried on. Um, I studied abroad in my second year, so I was off to Michigan State University, where I studied a lot of sort of the sports science type modules. Um, so that that actually was a bit of a turning point because I came back after I'd studied there, and I actually thought about switching to sports science, and and it crossed my mind a little bit. I'd been sort of with a lot of BSc or a lot of science based people over there, um, but I'm glad I didn't. I carried on with my BA and. Um, ended up doing my dissertation um, sociology related looking at women's experiences in martial arts and combat sports um, in particular taekwondo Um, and I got two awards when I graduated my uh, degree so I got uh, two awards for my dissertation in particular Um, so then sort of carried that on I'd done a bit of sort of peer teaching in my third year as well so I thought I wanted to go into academia and wanted to go into sort of lecturing did my master's uh, in the sociology of sport at the University of Chester. Um, again, I did something related to sort of women's experiences in combat sports um, as part of my dissertation then. And I won an award again. I, I won the Norbert Elias Award for the um, best dissertation in the area. 
So after that, it was just a case of, I knew I wanted to carry on, I wanted to do a PhD. Um, so I was applying for PhDs. I got some part-time lecturing work at York St. John University as sort of a visiting lecturer, I worked as a research assistant as part of that as well. And I eventually got onto my PhD um, at the University of Greenwich in 2014, um, which it took a bit of a different turn. So obviously a lot of my um, research prior to that had looked at sort of gender equality and women's experiences in combat sports. Um, but my PhD looked at LGBT inclusion in the university sport context. So finished that a couple of years ago and I've had a variety of different sort of lecturing jobs um, since then at Lincoln, at Bishop Gorstest University, a couple of institutions in London. I module led a bit at Greenwich while I was doing my PhD and now obviously at Solent University as well. So I guess that's my story and how I'm here um, researching and teaching at Solent. Wow, <laughs> it's quite a comprehensive, uh, fascinating, really fascinating journey. Just a couple of things I was picking up on there. Obviously I've got an interest in uh, figurational, relational sociology. So when you said Norbert Elias, I was like, and, and also Michigan, because um, I'm a big fan. I've got the Michigan T-shirt on today. Um, I'm a big fan of um, college football and Michigan Wolverines. And I've actually watched a game in the stadium. There's like 110,000 people there when I when I went. Um, but I was just going to say, before we get on to the next question, um, is there anything you've learned from that experience where you know you possibly nearly quit? university any any lessons for students from that experience do you think yeah I mean I actually almost did. I was a qualified personal trainer when I started university and um because I sort of went without knowing exactly what I wanted to do and I felt like all all the other students knew that they wanted to be a PE teacher so I sort of really questioned why I was there um but my, it was really my parents who said you've got to stick it out for at least a semester because you, you're going to end up quitting before you know whether you enjoy it or not so I think the, what I would say is just stick it out. Don't um, just because you feel one way straight away doesn't mean it, that'll continue. And I, I do. I did start to apply for full time jobs. I was very very close to sticking out of university. So the fact that I stayed on, looking back now, I can't imagine what I would have been doing. And I'm so glad I stayed on. So, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well. Um... This brings us on to uh, the next question um, about who you are. So what we're trying to do here is just find a little bit, um, a, a little bit about you, which doesn't really relate to research. So have you got one fact about you which doesn't relate to what you're researching right now? Yeah, um, well, it it sort of relates to my research a little bit, but not so much. But um, I guess things that something that some people are quite surprised about, I guess, is that I've grown up doing a lot of combat sports. Um, and I think I've had probably over 100 fights in different, con yeah, <laughs> I can see your face, Matt. Um, over 100 fights in different sort of combat sports. So I, I started off in Taekwondo, started when I was eight and I was on my black belt by the age of 11. So I'd had a lot of fights in Taekwondo. Um, I moved to Thai boxing and K1 when I get, went to university because there wasn't a Taekwondo club in the area and I had, I think, four or five K1 and Thai boxing fights. And then when I moved to London, again, I had issues finding clubs and finding clubs within my price range, I guess, as a PhD student in London. So I, I moved to boxing, which was probably the cheapest sport that you could do. Um, and I think I had about 20 fights um, in boxing overall. So I think people are quite surprised by that one. <laughs> people might also be asking themselves when they're listening to this, how many of those have you won? <laughs> oh, 
Do you know what? I, I know my boxing record, and my boxing record's quite good. Um, but ta- in taekwondo, which is where the vast majority of my fights were, I've no idea. Like, I really don't know because we just used to fight every weekend. We'd have bouts, and sometimes you'd have three or four fights in one competition. So I wouldn't be able to say in that. But my boxing record, I've had, um, I think, 14 wins, one draw, and a few losses. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. really interesting. Um, okay, well, you've said a little bit about about your research, but we're, we're going to go into that now a little bit more. Um, what what would you say your research area then is? How would you sort of conceptualise it? Yeah, well, obviously, my initial research was looking at sort of women's experiences in combat sports, um, but now I've sort of moved away from that a little bit in my current research, looking at LGBT. Um, inclusion in university sports and that was like the real focus of my PhD. So it's sat within the sociology of sport field um, and as part of that I went out and did basically case studies at four student unions um, across the UK um, as well as a nationwide questionnaire that went out to student unions as well. So I was really looking at sort of provision of university sport and the policies and the people who were in control of university sport alongside looking at LGBT students' experiences. Um, used uh, a bit of queer theory, a bit of hegemony theory and I think quite a lot of the findings were interesting because it looked at some of the more subtle barriers to participation as well rather than sometimes the more obvious ones so um a lot of the students for example said that they hadn't experienced like really overt homophobia in sports but sometimes there were more subtle elements of sort of university sport practices that um prevented or discouraged them from participating so it really looked at the more subtle barriers and but also from that as well um sort of trans students participation is something that or trans people's participation in sport I guess is something that's really contemporary at the minute that is in the news um as well so looking at that um it's been really interesting just to see what policies are in uh, place at the moment and how we can I guess adapt policies and make it more inclusive to everyone so I'm just have published a few articles in relation to that and I am currently involved in some other research on sort of gender in the curriculum as well um which is looking at it's a seed funder project um, and working with Philippa on it as well who is the lead researcher and we're looking at how sort of knowledge about gender um, and gender norms and gender equality is embedded into the curriculum the sports curriculum at Solent University in particular and um, seeing whether students value knowledge about sort of gender and whether they need to know more and how useful it is in their future careers um, so that's been really interesting and we are still sort of in the process of, of doing that research. So those are the sort of two areas that I'm involved in at the moment, I guess. Okay, wow. I'm just thinking maybe for one or two um, who are listening, perhaps you don't really have a background in sociology without getting too, too technical theoretically. Just, I'm just wondering whether you might be able to say something about I guess, how this really innovative, unique work um, extends like our dominant ways of understanding like gender. Because obviously people people who are listening, you're talking about maybe queer theory and hegemony, they, they, they won't know what the, those are, yeah. but they will have heard about gender as a topic of research in sociology of sport. So maybe just you might just say something there about um, 
how this really in- interesting innovative work extends, I guess, the, the dominant pieces of research in, in, in when we when we think about gen. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I think probably the best example I can give is my work looking at sort of trans inclusion and sport. And um, I said I used queer theory and I used within queer theory there's this critique of sort of gender binaries, which is really prominent in some of my work. Um, and I think it links to sort of intersex issues as well. So if you think about the case of Casta Semenya, how she's intersex. And I think it um, sort of promotes this idea that gender and also biological sex are really on a spectrum rather than a binary. Um, so what I mean by that is we have like male sport and we have female sport. And even in mixed sports, we have certain rules around gender. There has to be two women playing or three men playing or in mixed doubles tennis, we have one man and one woman. So there's very gendered ideas within sport, as I'm sure most people are aware. So some of the theories that I've used, um, for example, queer theory, is really critique that. And I guess gender and biological sex are more complex than people often give them credit for, I guess. And especially looking at sort of the case of Casta Semenya and intersex bodies and how, um, I guess, looking at biological sex, how do we define it? And how do we fit someone who's trans or intersex into our current structures of sport? Or do we need to change our current structures of sport to better include everyone? Um, so I hope, I hope that sort of makes sense, um, even to people who it are does. not just, yeah. No, it really does make sense. I'm just wondering what, what if, I mean, whether you know, but what, what, what are people who are responsible you know, in positions of power, um, you know, governance, etc. what are they doing about it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it massively depends on the national government body and some of them have been doing um, a lot in terms of um, making sure their policies are, um, I guess, linked to research. I think one of the big issues is that the minute there's not enough research in the area to really have evidence-based policies and practice, so we do need more research. Um, and I think over the last few years, there's been a massive change in what governing bodies are doing. So when I was collecting my data for my PhD, I think it was around 2016, I interviewed a trans male student who um, had been playing um, women's rugby um, and was still biologically female, but identified as a man. Um, and he was looking at... Um, how to go about, could, could he still continue playing women's rugby? Did he have to play, could he play men's rugby? Like, seeing where he could fit. And the policy from the RFU at the time said that he would have to go and get genital reconstructive surgery, um, have all his hormones and be two years after all this to be able to play. But as soon as he started taking testosterone, he couldn't play the women's rugby either. So he was sort of stuck between two. He was like, as soon as I take testosterone, I can't play women's. But as soon as I do take testosterone, I have to wait two years, get my genital reconstructive surgery, which there's about a, you know, a very long waiting list on the NHS for that, um, and everything else. So he, he couldn't have been able to play sport. Um, but since then, the RFU have sort of acted on that and acted on some of the criticisms. And although I wouldn't say their policy is perfect, they've removed the need for sort of genital reconstructive surgery, um, which actually has no bearing on sports performance. So I think things are getting better, but they're certainly not perfect yet. I think more research is still needed. That sort of sets us up really well for the next question then, because I think you've, you've spoken quite a bit really about, you, you know, sort of your current work. 
Um, unless there's anything you maybe want to add, I was just thinking about possibly your future research again. I think it's it's not been tentatively in. You know, you you've mentioned about um, this focus on university, but sort of universities of context. But are you going to be involved in anything? Maybe over the next 12 to 18 months, anything you've got in the pipeline in terms of future research? Yeah, so there's obviously this gender and the curriculum research is ongoing and it's on my mind that I need to apply for some funding. So I did get Reich funding to extend the research to look at sort of transgender knowledge as well and trans and non-binary knowledge um, in the curriculum. Um, but with the Reich funding being stopped, obviously with COVID um, and everything else, I am thinking about going externally and um, doing a funding bid, I guess, for some research to start to extend our current projects. But the other thing that's in my mind as well is, so I'm not, since I moved on from um, combat sports, I'm now competing powerlifting. Um, and I've been competing now for about just over a year, about a year and a half. So I'd love to do something on women's experiences in powerlifting. Um, but also a big thing um, that I've noticed when looking on sort of social media is the abuse that women actually receive in sort of strength sports on social media. So this would be a massive turn from my gender and curriculum research, but that's something that's on my mind to sort of maybe apply for an external funding bid for. Where I go with that research yet and how I do it, I'm not sure, um, but it's sort of on my mind that that's something I want to study. Sorry, the, the connection may have just dipped a little bit there. We're still, I can still got you. You're still here, just in case anyone was listening. It, it just dipped a little bit. Um, well, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> That's fascinating. That um, again, I think you've alluded to this a little bit. But I'm probably just going to probe a little bit more. But what, why do you actually do this? You know, why do you do this this area of research? What's the big picture here? You know, what in terms of of impact? Yeah, I mean, I think we all hope that our research will have some sort of impact, whether that's creating awareness initially um, on issues that do exist um, or changing policies and practice. So I think particularly around my research on sort of trans inclusion in sport, I do hope that people read the research and, you know, think, OK, maybe we need to think about this. Maybe it's not as black and white as we once thought. And I think sometimes speaking to students that can come across a little bit, they say, oh, this is how you deal with trans inclusion in sport. And I say, well, it's not quite as simple as that. And if it was, then everyone would know how to do it already and everyone would be implementing that. So I think sometimes trying to look at things from different perspectives and, and realising that these issues are not black and white. And hopefully, you know, if national government bodies end up looking at it, um, having an impact on sort of policies and practice. And I guess then very similar in terms of the research on gender in the curriculum, um, some of the initial findings suggest that you know students have one module on gender and that's it and it's not really discussed so it's sort of sidelined a little bit so maybe having more examples of women's sports having more um knowledge about gender sort of embedded across different modules um so if we can sort of say okay students actually want to know this and if we can say to lecturers, can you start to embed this a little bit more rather than just having gender knowledge as sort of an add-on in one module? And um, so I hope that hopefully it will change practices and change how we teach um, at university. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said there. I think it's so, imp so important. I think thinking about, I guess, also colleagues, you know, making colleagues more aware of, of this of this area of research as well. I mean, you know, I 
include myself in that. We need to know more and do more in in this. Um, also thinking then about perhaps people who we have in the faculty who maybe don't um, currently do a lot of research or haven't done a lot of research, but want to try and maybe do a little bit more research and get involved and get involved with it. What one piece of advice would you give to them if they're interested in doing some research? Yeah, I think one of the big pieces, it's never a straightforward process, is it? It's always worth it at the end, but it's never straightforward. It's always like quite a messy process. So I think just um, having that in mind that when you start something, it's never going to be completely smooth and timelines get mixed up and something takes longer than you expected it to. Um, so just, I guess, keeping it in mind that it's it's never a straightforward process. But I think when you find something that you're really passionate about, um, and I think that's that's another piece of advice, isn't it? That you make sure that you are researching something that you know you're passionate about and that you want to do. Um, the, the rewards at the end, you do feel like a really good sense of accomplishment once you've got a journal article published or you've got, you know, your data collected. Um, so just, I'd say, stick with it and ask for advice, um, but just bear in mind that it's it's never going to be straightforward. That would maybe be my advice. Yeah, it's really good advice. Again, it's good advice for me. <laughs> Thinking about it, it is messy. It's a really messy process, and it's really difficult to navigate through that sometimes. Okay, well, we're gonna we're just gonna finish with this little bit of, I guess, whether what people whether people find it fun. <laughs> I don't know, but we call it this or that. So it's just again a little bit more um, about you and and uh, and things you 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 like um, or don't like, I guess. Um, so first one: coffee or tea? Coffee, one hundred percent. Okay, qualitative or quantitative? I think I'm going to know the answer to this. Yeah, I think most people will qualitative. Qualitative. Dog or cat? got to be a cat I've got a rescue cat so it has okay. to be a cat <laughs> team cat okay um book or journal journal interesting okay um I'm really fascinated to know the answer to this next one Instagram or Twitter oh Instagram 100% yeah Instagram. I do Twitter, but I'm not really well, into it I log on about once a month <laughs> okay uh lit review or methodology literature review Interesting, yeah, I've said that myself. Um, chocolate or sweets? Sweets. Okay, um, undergraduate or postgraduate? Um, I'd say undergraduate. I, d I don't know if it means teaching them, but yeah, I quite enjoy teaching both, but particularly the undergrads. Winter or summer? Summer, 100%. Is anyone, is anyone actually going to say winter? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some skiing people or something like that. So but yeah, definitely a summer person. And then just the last one is reading or writing. I definitely enjoy writing more than reading. Interesting, really interesting. Okay, well, thanks, Catherine. That's been really, really interesting. I think people are really enjoy that, and um, I think you've you've spoken very well about your research and I guess I guess the importance of it as well. So on that note. Um, we'll finish the podcast, and I'm I'm going to go and wait. I'm going to go away and read some of your your <laughs> recently published work. So thanks a lot, Catherine. Thanks for joining us. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you.